0: Well, good morning. My name is Tom, and it's absolutely a joy for me to be with you this morning. Um, If we've never met, I would love to. So I'm going to be hanging out right up here after the service. Please come say hello. Uh, You'd make my day. I want to start out this morning by telling you as clearly as I can where we're going together. Here it is. God desires every generation to be brought up to love him, and in order to do that, We all need spiritual parents to show us how. So God desires every generation, your generation, my generation, the generations that are growing up right now and generations to come. He wants us to love him. And in order to do that, we all need spiritual mothers and fathers, spiritual parents, spiritual mentors. And I'll use those terms interchangeably today. But we need these people to show us how. That's where we're going. See if you can recognize these words. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Who said this? Jesus. I personally love Sunday school answers. When in doubt, Jesus, right? It's true. So in the gospel of Mark, a group of religious leaders is talking with Jesus and they're trying to size him up. And the way that you would size up a teacher or a rabbi back then was with the law. So there's a bit of a dispute, and a scribe comes in and thinks, I'll resolve this. Jesus, which is the greatest, most important commandment of all? And without skipping a beat, Mark 12:29, Jesus answered, The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and with all your strength. Jesus is saying for the people of God, everything starts here. We must love God with all of ourselves, everything we've got. And this has since become one of Jesus' most famous teachings. It's become a way to summarize, in effect, what God wants from his people, including you and me. Wants us to love him. But interestingly, Jesus is not actually the first person to say this. When he says this greatest commandment, he's quoting somebody. Jesus is quoting Moses. Now, I'm certain that many of us right now have an image of Moses in our minds. Maybe we're picturing the baby in the basket or the burning bush. Or maybe for you it's the plagues in Egypt or crossing the Red Sea or receiving the the Ten Commandments. Um, Whatever it is. It's probably not the story we're gonna look at today, which is a little, uh, a little bit less familiar, a little bit less known. The story we're looking at today comes from the book of Deuteronomy. And Moses is leading Israel toward the place that God had promised to give them. Some of us have heard the expression, the promised land. This is where it comes from. God had told his people that he would bring them from slavery in Egypt to a place which would become their own. And finally, they would begin to flourish and thrive as a country. In fact, the land was described as being so rich and so fertile that it's described as flowing with milk and honey. Now, I know some of us are like, milk and honey. A, that's weird. (laughs) B, doesn't sound appealing to me at all. Trying to restrict my sugar intake over here. Or to my fellow millennials, uh, we're like milk and honey. I can't. I can't deal. That it hurts my tummy. Um, <laughs> it would be like God coming to us, <laughs> Renaissance Church, and saying, "Listen, I'm going to take you to a land. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be flowing with cappuccinos and gelato all day, every day." Back to the millennials. I am one, so I can do this. Gluten-free avocado toast, right? Maybe a poached egg on the side. Free range, of course. No chicken cages. We don't like that. (laughs) But seriously, Israel is about to enter this promised land, the place they've been longing for ages to get to, where they believe they will finally flourish. They're on the doorstep of this place. And then Moses hits pause. And he stops them. And he stops them so he can talk to them because he needs them to know something essential before they enter this place, this new life, in this new promised land. So in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. See, Moses knows that the promised land is going to be really sweet. Like honey. But he also knows that there are going to be some serious challenges awaiting them. And if they're going to make it, if they're going to be faithful to God and go where he wants them to go and love him, they have to do that. They have to love him. So, how do we do that? How do we actually love God as people? Well, he says in verse 5 with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might. In ancient Israel's understanding of psychology, the heart was regarded as the seat of the mind, of the will, and of a range of emotions. The soul, on the other hand, was our source of life, vitality, the essence of what it meant to be human. And might would refer to one's physical strength in the body. So Moses is essentially saying we must love God and we must love him with our whole selves, everything we've got. And this is the most important thing for us as a people. Let's be honest, though. This seems like a really tall task, doesn't it? I mean, this seems really, really hard, and it is. But thankfully, Moses doesn't leave us without some sense of direction for how to actually do this. Let's see what he prescribes in verse 7. You shall teach them, meaning the commands of God, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Moses says, if we are going to love God with everything we've got, the key to making this happen for us as a people is for parents to teach their children about him. Parents, I myself am now in this category with you, two little boys of my own, but parents, we must teach our children about God. This is the key to loving him as a people, according to Moses. And you know what, we shouldn't be surprised by this. Um, Think about it, parents start out as the closest people in the whole world to their children. It should make logical sense that they should have the greatest spiritual influence upon them. And we may have good reasons why that's not the case for every person, but if you look across the spectrum, across the board, research actually shows that this is true. Um, a famous study called the National Study on Youth and Religion at the University of Notre Dame found that even today in the 21st century, parents have the greatest spiritual influence upon their children. Not the church, not the pastor, not the summer camp speaker, as awesome as they were, not even the youth pastor. <laughs> Had to throw that one in there. <laughs> it's parents. It's parents. And the data today just illustrates what Moses was teaching back then. If we are going to go where God wants us to go, be faithful to him and love him, then we have to teach our children about him. And you know why? Listen, before this becomes some kind of religious requirement or obligation or a code we have to keep, we know we can't keep the code perfectly. Israel's history shows us that all too well. It's not about the code. It's not about the rules. The reason why is because it's what we were meant for. You and I were meant to love God, to worship Him, to serve Him, to know Him. We were meant for it. It's the best thing in the whole world for us. It's what we were made for. And Moses wants parents to see that and to embrace it for their own children. This, he says, is how we will be able to love God with everything we've got. And right now, I just wanna pause because we're probably thinking a couple different things. Some of us may be thinking, okay, I am a parent, but how do we actually do this? This seems really hard. And I have good news for you. Moses gives us some very practical steps we can take to teach about God. We're going to come back to that in just a few minutes because others of us are in here thinking, I don't have children. Is this for me? And so we're going to take a little bit of time to show that even though this Exhortation to teach children about God is, is given to parents. It's not just for parents. It could be for you as well. I want to tell you a story about that. So it was ninth grade. Any high schoolers here this morning? Yes. All right. It was ninth grade. I love ninth grade. Best three years of my life. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> um, but in ninth grade, I cared about two things. Number one, Sports. So, the summer before ninth grade, I decided to stop playing soccer so that I could focus solely on swimming with one goal in mind, and that was to become the best athlete I could possibly be. And I'll be totally transparent, at age 14, I wanted to make the Olympic team someday. That was my goal. It's who I wanted to be. That also led me to the second thing I cared about, which was my grades. Because I knew that I wanted to go to the best college with the best swimming program, so I had to be good in school in order to do that. That was what I cared about in ninth grade. Notice what's not on my list. Many things, but faith was not on my list. And even though I truly had come to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that because of God's grace, he came to lay down his own life so that I could have mine. I believed that, but I didn't really know anything about following him. And so I don't know if my parents signed me up or I decided to go, but I ended up in my church's youth group in New Providence, and that's where I met Matt. Matt Mitchell. So Matt was a 30-something seminary student who drove an hour each way from Princeton on Sundays to lead a small group of ninth grade boys, and I was one of those boys. And just to give you a sense for who Matt was, I remember this conversation with him. We were there one night thinking about sports or grades or girls, but we don't want to talk about that. Um, And Matt, he just throws out a question. He says, on a scale of one to ten, How well do you know the Bible? And we, being the fine church-raised young men that we were, hating to disappoint anybody, answered six, seven. One boy even said eight. Eight out of ten in the ninth grade. (laughs) And Matt, I just love Matt. He just came in and completely undercut all of us. Wow, he said, you guys must be doing great, because I'm about a four. And that was Matt, the seminary student who would go on to lead a church, was humble enough and real enough to admit he wasn't an expert. And because Matt was real with us, over the next few years, we were real with him. We knew that we could ask him anything and talk about anything. Matt became for us a spiritual father. And to be totally honest, I don't know if I'd be who I am or where I am or even following Jesus if it weren't for Matt. And my guess is that many of us have mats in our own lives. If we were to sit down and share about how we came to trust Jesus with one another, it wouldn't be long before individual names began to pop up. You'd share about that parent or that grandparent, that pastor, that leader, that whoever it was, that friend, someone who made a difference in your personal faith. Many of us have had mats in our lives And many of us can become mats for other people. And that's the point for those of us without children. You don't have to have physical children to become a spiritual parent for another person. God will call some of us to do that. And it doesn't have to be a gargantuan undertaking. Uh, Don't get me wrong. It could be. God may call you to something which seems like a radical decision. We just heard from Evan and Hannah who a year ago decided... We're going to move to Guatemala and adopt these children. God may lead you to as radical of a decision as that. But he might not. And not all of us will do that. But he may lead us to make decisions in other areas. He may lead you to serve as a leader for children or for students. And that's actually happening right now downstairs as we speak. He may call you to do that. Maybe that's not your thing. But others of us will be called to do that. And you don't have to be a spiritual giant to do it. You don't have to be a a missionary or a future pastor. Case in point, about a year ago, my friend Mary decided to become a leader for our middle school group. And I asked Mary if I could share this with you this morning, and she graciously said yes. Um, But Mary would be the first to say, I'm not an expert in the Bible. I'm not an expert in youth ministry, but I can love these kids. And that's what she did. Week in and week out, she came and spent time with middle school students. She laughed with them. She talked with them. She prayed with them. She loved them. And it was beautiful. Perhaps God would lead you to do something like that. Or maybe that's not your fit, and that's okay. Not everybody will do that, but maybe you could pray. And we're doing this new thing as a church this fall called the Pray For Me Campaign, where you can actually sign up to pray for a high school student for a year. There won't be as much face-to-face interaction, but you can be supporting them through your prayers, week in and week out. There's no telling the good that could do in their lives. But we can say, even if, even if you'll never become a spiritual parent for somebody else, we can say, we can agree, we can say with confidence that it's not just for parents. It's for those of us without children as well. And that's what brings us to the next point. Some of you, I'm sure, have already been thinking about this. It's not just for children. It's not just for children. We all need spiritual parents in our lives teenagers you need an adult you can trust and talk to about your life about faith younger adults you need an older adult older adults you need a peer or a friend someone you respect you can talk to about your faith we all need it and it will help us grow you know one of the best examples of this comes right from the bible it's the example of paul and timothy paul's story is nothing short of remarkable I want to really encourage you to read it on your own. It's in the book of Acts. You'll be amazed. I'm going to give you the one-minute version. Uh, Paul was charged by the high priest to find people who claimed that Jesus was the Messiah, people who would later become or be called Christians, and arrest them. That was his job. So he was on one of those missions to arrest Christians, followers of Jesus, when Jesus himself appeared to him in a blinding light on the road. And his... His life would never be the same. Paul went from persecuting Christians to becoming a Christian. He went from putting them in chains to himself being put in chains for his faith. He went on to write about a third of what we now have as the New Testament, teaching many people what it was to love God. In essence, he became a spiritual father for many, many people. And one of those people was Timothy. Timothy was a younger man. Uh, someone who had accompanied Paul in some of his missionary work. And Paul then later set him as an overseer over the teaching uh, in a church in a place called Ephesus. And he wrote, Paul wrote to Timothy to encourage him, to equip him, to help him grow. And in two, those two letters, we can see the relationship that they had unfold a little bit. And so we're just going to read very briefly from the introduction to the first letter, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. To Timothy my true son in the faith. Paul's relationship with Timothy had attained such a level of intimacy that he's viewing him as his own son in the faith. He's clearly become a spiritual father for him. And just like Timothy, we all need spiritual parents. So if you're a teenager, seek out an adult that you can grow to trust. Someone you can talk to about life or faith. If you're a younger adult, seek out an older adult with whom you can do the same. Every generation, no matter where you're at in life, seek out someone you respect and invite them to help you grow. You need it, I need it, we all need it. So how do we actually do this? Where do we find these people? It doesn't just happen, right? Well, I would argue that there's many places but that the single best place in all the world is right here. It's the church. This is a place where you can find somebody to be a mentor. Maybe this fall, you choose to sign up for a group. It could be a short-term connect group, or it could be a longer-term community group. Or maybe you can't commit to a longer period of time, come to a seminar where you can learn and connect with people. Or maybe it's as simple as choosing, when you come here on Sunday, to be intentional about meeting people. It may lead to a relationship, which could lead to mentorship and to growth. So let me just encourage you, Seek this out. This can be a place where these kinds of relationships happen. And I think it should be a place where they happen. But we have to seek them out. So, right now, you might be thinking okay, this is great. We all need spiritual mentors to love God. Check. But how? For the parents and mentors, the people who will actually be teaching others about God, how do we actually do this? How do we teach about God? And thankfully, Moses doesn't leave us in the dark. He gives us five practical steps to take so that we can teach about God. From Deuteronomy 6, verse 7, he says, You shall teach them, meaning the commands of God, diligently to your children and shall talk of them. We're going to stop right there, just a moment. This is the first one, talk. It may seem obvious, but Talking is a part of relationships, so form the kind of relationship that encourages conversation. Um, Let your children or the person you're mentoring know it's okay to tell you anything or ask you anything. Well, what if they ask me something I don't know? It's gonna happen, and that's okay. Be honest and tell them you're not an expert in everything, no one is, but you're willing to learn and grow with them. And in doing so, you'll build more trust in that relationship, not less. Another idea, what if you just can't talk to them at all or they won't talk to you? Okay, don't force it, but try something outside of the box. You may have heard of this game called table topics, there's a lot of them like it. It's basically a box of cards that you put on a table. Whenever you sit at that table, you pull one out and it poses a question. And you just answer the question and it creates conversation. Well, how'd you end up with that response? Or tell me about that experience. And that can lead to different things. It doesn't have to be that, try something like that or your own idea. The point is, try something. Because at the end of the day, if we're going to teach about God, we have to talk. That's the first. And the second way to teach about God is tied to it. Opportunities to talk will emerge when we spend time together. From Deuteronomy 6, 7. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise everyday things. In your everyday life, in the regular rhythms of your day and your week, find time, make time to be together. We may not walk by the way anymore like they did back then, but we may drive. We may be in the car together. Use that time. Listen to something that's going to help you grow in your faith or talk while you're in the car. If you're with children or with the person you're mentoring at the start of the day or at the end of the day, make a little bit of time. Maybe you choose, we're going to pray together. Maybe you have kids, maybe you pray together before you go to sleep or when you wake up. Or maybe you find the time once a week to read the Bible together and just talk through, answer some questions, ask questions. That's something you could choose to do. Just try something and see what works. Find those moments, make those moments, and use them. That's the second way, is time. And Moses continues now to the third way, which is from verses 8 and 9. He says, you shall bind them, the commands of God, as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So the third way to teach about God is tokens. Now look, tokens may not be your thing. That's totally fine. But for others of us, a physical object, uh, which, has, which reminds us of something, it represents something else, can be a powerful reminder. And we already have many of them. I mean, this wedding ring on my finger Basically, it's nothing more than a piece of metal, but it becomes so much more than that by virtue of what it represents. It's become a token. Moses gives us some examples of tokens that can remind us of God. Take the frontlets between the eyes, for example. Some people took this very literally, and they actually took the law, they wrote it, they truncated it, shrunk it down, wrote it on a tiny piece of scroll, rolled it up, and tied it with string across their heads so that the law of God would literally be before their eyes. That's commitment, right? <laughs> I don't think we're, we're probably not going to do that. But you might choose to put a Bible verse in a place you're going to see it regularly. You might put it on your fridge or your bathroom mirror. You might, uh, you might hang it on a wall. You might place your Bible in a place in your home where you're going to see it frequently and be reminded, I should pick that up, read it. You can get really creative with this. It can be a small thing, a big thing. But use those tokens as opportunities to teach other people, to remind ourselves and others about who God is and what he has done. And that brings us to the fourth way to teach about God. Because the truth is, when we remember who God is and what he's done, we cannot help but give him our thanks. Verses 10 through 13. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, when you receive all of these good gifts, these blessings from God, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. Moses says, when we receive these good gifts, don't forget whom they come from. Remember him and thank him. If we regularly did this, if we got into the habit of showing each other how to express gratitude to God, that would be a beautiful thing. I'm sure many of us have done this at Thanksgiving dinner. You get up in a, in a circle, maybe you hold hands, maybe you don't. But everybody like says, I'm thankful for this, I'm thankful for that. Anybody done that? Okay. It's awkward, right? <laughs> Isn't that awkward? There's always that one person who's like, I'm so thankful for the hot food right over there. It looks delicious. We're gonna get to eat it as soon as we're done with this. It's a little awkward, but it wouldn't be so awkward if we actually did that more than once a year, right? If it was a weekly thing or a daily thing, it would be less of a tradition and more of a habit, a a joyful habit, a way to express our gratitude to God for who he is and what he's done. So give thanks. And that brings us to our final way to teach. It's together. We are in this together as the community of faith. And for Moses, that was the nation of Israel. For you and me, it's the church. We want to be the kind of church that encourages and facilitates these kinds of relationships. When we do this, when the people in the church become spiritual parents for others, they show them what it is to love God. And the only reason we even can love God is because he first loved us. And there is no more vivid or powerful illustration of God's love than Jesus himself, who came and laid down his own life for you and for me so that we could have ours. So when someone becomes a spiritual parent, they don't just look like a mentor, they look like Jesus. Do you remember Mary, my friend who became the middle school leader? A few months ago she began experiencing really severe pain in her back. It got so bad she had to stop going to work, she had to stop coming here, and it didn't take long for the students to recognize that she wasn't showing up anymore, she wasn't able to come. And so one of the girls came to me and she just said, Tom, we've seen that Mary's not around. We know she's hurt. Is there anything we can do for her? And so I just asked. I was, I was a little excited. I was like, you know, said, well, what do you think we should do? And she said, well, I was thinking I could get some of these other girls together. We could make some food. We could bring it to her. We could hang out, spend some time and just encourage her. You know when a kid does something and it's just like, Yes, yes, of course I didn't do that. I was like, yes, (laughs) no, I said, yes, that would be beautiful. You should totally do that. And you know what? It was eight middle school students got together. They made some food, they brought it over and they just spent time with her. They sat together, they talked, they even sang some songs, they prayed together. After the fact, Mary told me that that moment, that time in her living room, was exactly what she needed. And this is the best part. I'm confident of this. If Mary had not been there week out, week in and week out with those students loving them, becoming a spiritual mother for them, showing them what it is to love God, then they would not have, this moment would not have happened. They wouldn't have been there for her. It was because of her year of looking like Jesus to those students that enabled them to look like Jesus for her in her time of need. It wouldn't have happened. Just imagine, imagine with me for a second, a world that looked more like Mary's living room. It would be beautiful. Friends, Moses showed his people back then what we need to see right now which is that God desires every generation to be brought up to love him. And in order to do that, we all need spiritual parents to show us how. So let's decide together, as a church, we want to be this kind of community, the kind of community that supports these relationships. Find a spiritual parent, become a spiritual parent, and let's love God together. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you so much, but we know that your love for us is greater than we can possibly imagine. So all we can do is say thank you. And thank you specifically for calling us, maybe to be parents, to be a mentor, to be an adoptive parent, for calling us to ways that we can show your love love to others. And Lord, we know that when you call, you don't leave us powerless. You equip us. You give us strength. You give us support. And encouragement. And one of the ways that we receive those things is through each other. So, Father, I pray and I ask that you would help us become the kind of place, the kind of church that encourages that encouragement, those relationships between people. Help us to seek them out because we need them. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name.